Shut the fuck up, Gary. We are talking about a comic book, which we all read. If you did not also read this comic book, be aware we may talk about the events that happen inside of it. If this is going to make you sad, you should read the comic book first. That's like playing pretend with five-year-olds. Oh, that Spider-Man, he was just a clone. Did I just have a stroke? Welcome to the Trade Secrets Podcast. I have tough skin, apparently. I did not know I had this power. Comic book talk by comic book geeks just like you. What we did not know was that Nikolai Tesla was the original designer of the Fleshlight. Make it, make it, do it, makes us... Welcome, everybody, to episode 65. <laughs> 65, I think. That, that sure. sounds good. I think 64 was Emerald City, so 60 sounds like I 65. No. Welcome, everybody, to episode 65 of the Trade Secrets Podcast. We are here on a Sunday morning with Andy Padel. Hey. And Bean. Oh, hi. And I am Luke Matthews, and we are talking about the first trade of the awesome comic Rat Queens by Curtis Weeb and uh, Rock Up Church. Um, we, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna preface this by saying that uh, I fucked up at Emerald City Comic Con and we were unable to get our interview with Curtis Weeb um, because of uh, stupidity and t- and then our backup <laughs> failed too for no apparent reason. Like, okay, I'm gonna interject for a second. Being the only person uh, who actually saw the end result of this, when uh, we we did have some technical difficulties. Luke looked somewhat panicked, and uh, we went and had a backup uh, kit ready, but that one failed as well, at which point I wasn't sure if Luke was going to cry or hammer fist the table in half, and he just storms off running. He's like, I'm going to go charge the iPod. Uh, <laughs> just just tell Curtis that I'll be right back. <laughs> so so I'm going to tell this story a little bit. So we, we get to the show, and our recording kit runs off an iPod. Um, it's That's what ends up being the recording device and uh i had taken the one that we had recorded our interview with um with ed Ed brisson and johnny christmas on home to edit the podcast and forgot to bring it back to me back with me to the sunday of the show and i knew i knew andy had a backup but i was still a little frazzled to make sure that he actually brought it right so he he was away from the table when i discovered that we were out of we we didn't have the podcast cast equipment and I was setting things up and he comes back and I'm like please tell me you were smarter than me <laughs> and he he like pulls the iPod out of his pocket he's like awesome and I plug it in and it is bone dead like <laughs> completely dead and he had charged it like two nights before so there was something wrong with this iPod and so I'm like frazzled trying to I'm like do I need to run to a pawn shop and get a new iPod do I need to fucking post to Twitter and pray that somebody shows up with one that's compatible with our kit what do I need to take it to a car and charge it which is what I ended up doing so I ended up in the middle of Sunday at Emerald City Comic Con sitting in my car for 45 minutes charging an iPod only to come back onto the show floor to find out that Curtis uh, was... He wandered off. He went and visited a friend and then... He went and wandered off and then came back and told Andy that uh, he wasn't able to do the show because um, he had time a train to catch and he had a ch- time restraints and that made me want to tear my own face off. Um, so unfortunately, we don't have the the planned Curtis Weeb interview that was going to go along with this episode. However, we do have a fantastic comic book to, the, that we have read and we will talk about it and eventually we'll get Curtis back on the show because he has you know he's he's always very gracious and he's been on the show several times and uh once we once we get our skype set up worked out i think we'll get him back on again 
in any case, moving on from from sadness, um, uh, there's a pretty big news story that came. Oh, uh, before we move on to that, actually, uh, this will be <laughs> we're staying on be, sadness. Apparently. A, no, we're staying we're staying on happiness. I just wanted to say, um, by the time podcast listeners listen to this, it will have been yesterday. But today, the day that we are recording, is Ed Brisson's birthday. So oh, happy birthday. birthday, Ed Brisson, uh, writer of many good things, including. Uh, sheltered and murder book. Uh, moving on from sadness and birthdays. <laughs> sadness and <laughs> sadness birthdays. birthdays. Um, the the big news this week that has set the comic book internet aflame is that uh, Amazon bought Comixology. Uh, and I actually want to hear your guys' opinions on this first because I am very opinionated about it and want to know what you guys have to say. I don't care. <laughs> Not even a little bit. <laughs> I, the only time I use Comixology is on my computer, so this I don't think will change anything. Uh, Joel, however, I think would be much more opinionated because I'm pretty sure that he uses a Nook to read it, and he's got some concerns that uh. you know, maybe his device won't be supported anymore, which leads into an in- interesting conversation about you know when you buy this digital content, if someone purchases the provider, do they still have to follow the original terms of service? Huh, that's interesting. I think that would be my only real concern with it. Um, I have really mixed feelings about Amazon and I'm not totally against them and I feel like perhaps I should be because the indie comics people are supposed to you know be raging against the machine but at the same time in terms of like for print stuff create space is a very very solid publishing option even if you are a say hypothetical small press based out of seattle washington and uh (laughs) hypothetical in quotes and you don't want to have stock on hand as in you want to do print on demand create space is a solid option and so is lightning source which is the exact same printer just (laughs) a different you know just not through amazon so i'm thinking like i don't know if nothing else, maybe it will make it easier for small comics publishing companies like Green Tea Publishing, which has a fantastic book called Papa out on Comixology, and now it can be easily disseminated via Kindle. And so, so I, I I'm going to full disclosure. <laughs> uh, the first off, full disclosure: my wife actually works for Amazon, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, have that, you know hopefully doesn't color my opinions, but it it actually has nothing to do with my opinions of Amazon as a company. People who knew me when I worked for Nintendo know that I'm not shy about uh, (laughs) talking about how shitty someplace is despite having uh, ties to it in some ways. Um, But Amazon, I'm, I love Amazon. Like I, in some ways I understand some of the things that people, some of the problems people have with them. However, they have been, they are so consumer focused. Um, they are so focused on their customers and on, in all, in all truth, they're so focused on making things better for the creators that work for them. Uh, or I through think them, about, I should say. I think about that versus like some of the issues with the i iBooks and mm-hmm. some of the Apple stuff which yeah. which ended up screwing screwing creators in sort of a roundabout way and I haven't seen any of that with Amazon. Amazon I think realized and you know before we get into the comicsology thing we're going going back to talking about like digital publishing of of self-publishing books. Yeah. I think Amazon realized a long time ago that the better they make it for creators and the easier they make it for a creator to get their stuff out with a large slice of the pie to a to consumers. Yeah 
the better it is for Amazon as the middleman, right? Like the better the better situation they make it for either end of that transaction, them being in the mi- it's it it also improves their lot being in the middle of yeah, that. Yeah, it does. Um, and I'm I'm fair. I've got some fairly harsh opinions about the whole argument of Amazon quote unquote killing indie bookstores and so on and so forth because my I'm I. I I'm going to be the one that ushers in the dystopian future because I'm the one that... Uh, <laughs> you will buy the device. You will implant it in your neck. Yeah, pretty much. Because my my opinion on the matter is that Amazon is not killing indie bookstores. They are pushing the industry forward uh, and the future is killing indie bookstores. Um, the paradigm is shifting and... Yeah frankly and i know you'll probably disagree with me i know a lot of people i know disagree with me but my opinion is if the paradigm is shifting in a way that makes indie bookstores um insoluble then maybe it's time for indie bookstores to shift their ideals on how their business needs to work i i think there will always be a place for indie bookstores absolutely but i agree that there is a paradigm shift going on Mm -hmm. and the good indie bookstores are the one that's ones that are keeping Mm -hmm. on top of the paradigm shift yeah, Powell's even Elliott Bay yeah. is mm-hmm. fantastic. I mean, I think about how is that, is it's that a the one up on Lake City. No, that's no, not that's, that's, that's third place. Third place, yeah. Third, third place, place is, is great too, too yeah. because it is endeavoring to be the third place. Right? It's not just a bookstore; yeah. it's a community and cultural hub. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the that's what indie bookstores should be. In the way that, like in a in an ideal magical world, comic shops should also right. be that third place. And they can be if you go to Xanadu Comics. Located. Or Arcane. <laughs> I like Arcane. Sorry. Arcane and Ballard. Very good. Or Comics Dungeon. Guys, come on. <laughs> we live in a pretty good it. city for, for comic shops. Yeah. We live in one of the best cities. Like, I I can't think of comparable. Like, maybe New York. Portland. Uh, t- okay, yeah. Floating World is really Floating good. Floating World's good. Excalibur's fantastic. Excalibur's really good. There's, there's, Portland's but got it, a really good comic scene. The problem with like. living in Portland is you have to live in Portland, which is just not my thing. <laughs> Depends who you talk to. Yeah. Um, some I, of us aren't cool enough to live in Portland, all well. right. <laughs> so, and that's the that's the issue that keeps getting brought up in this that that I think is um, I don't I don't know how to put it. I guess like people are are drawing ta- drawing uh, lines between Comicsology being bought by Amazon and Amazon's place in the in the book world, and I I don't think those two are comparable. Like because people are like well now that i literally have seen people say oh comicsology was great and they were a great part of the comics industry before amazon bought them but now that amazon owns them pfft, pfft. there hasn't been a difference i'm like there's no difference there shouldn't be and in fact the differences that will come about i think will be positive not only for comicsology but for the for the industry as a whole like the the they're going to you're you're putting them in a platform where they're going to be better funded They'll have better discoverability. They'll have wider exposure and a lot more clout behind them than they have on their own. And I don't think that Comixology... Like, Comixology... I remember when Comixology first came out, and the same people that are bitching about Amazon buying them now were the people that were bitching that that Comixology was going to put indie indie comic stores out of business because digital comics were going to be... You know, we're going to ruin the physical comic trade. And and I don't and that's a, I mean it's the same thing. My wife and I had this discussion about Amazon and books too. You know, there was a point years and years and years ago when the large like big quote unquote big box bookstores like Barnes and Noble and Borders and Hastings were coming out, and a lot of people were railing against these giant bookstores mm-hmm. because they thought that they were going to destroy indie bookstores. 
But then fast forward 15 years, and when Barnes & Noble is faltering and Borders is closing, people those same people that were arguing against Borders when it was coming out are now wailing about Amazon killing their favorite Borders bookstore. And mm-hmm. it's it just, it's really, like, it's just, it's, you know... It shifts in the industry. It yeah. happens. And I think comics industry in terms of publishing has always been about 10 to 15 years behind uh, like prose books industry sure. in publishing in terms of now they're really sinking their teeth into the digital versus print thing. Yeah. Whereas ebooks are now, I'm not going to say passe, but like they're a thing. They happen. We're, we're, the, the paradigm has shifted. So we know that you know, if you're going to have a marketable product, yes, you need to do an ebook because some people yeah. live on their Kindles and that's fine. And I was, I was baffled by a lot of the arguments against uh, Amazon buying Comixology because uh, many, many of them are, well, we need to be doing things that put more money in the creator's pockets. And my initial thought there is that has been Amazon's like, paradigm from the get-go like they want you know they want to give creators more because it helps them right and integrating like my ideal world like comiXology already has um like an indie publishing arm that you can get your stuff that self-publishers can get their comics published to comiXology Mm -hmm. and if amazon were able to to integrate their current you know, the frankly fantastic self-publishing, self-digital publishing experience into Comixology and get that so that comic creators could publish a comic to Comixology as easily as an author can publish a book to Amazon. That would be pretty cool. I mean, and still get, what, 70% that they give on, which they probably, you know, it'd probably be a smaller chunk because it's more, you know, it's more intensive, but... But that would be fantastic. Like I just, I just feel like this is a fantastic thing for the industry as a whole because everything's going to, you know, there's always going to be a digital aspect that is going to eventually be the majority of how people consume their their um, their entertainment. And Comicsology, not only does this help Comicsology, but I think one of the largest purveyors of media in the world taking an interest in the comics industry enough to buy the the biggest um, purveyor of digital comics yeah. is good for the industry. I know? mean, I hope that the digital comics industry grows and I'll be really kind of interested to see how it interacts with like the web comics industry. Yeah. And I think right now it's those are totally fine chugging along parallel. Sure. Um Kind of interesting in terms of like there's there's one paradigm that's all about giving away massive amounts of content for free and making money on physical goods, or ads, or ads, or both, or you know or a variety of other the, things. Uh, the wish you were here crossed methodology where they give the comic away for free yeah. and then you can buy trades of you know yeah. like a six month run or whatever, mm-hmm. which I which I think is great. I don't know. I think there will always be people who need a physical artifact. Um, yeah. And there will always oh, be hi. people who <laughs> me <laughs> who want a digital compact, you know, yeah. not space taking up thing. I mean, don't get me wrong. I I love phys- I still buy all my comics physically. The only digital comics that I intentionally buy are when we buy them for the show. And there's a reason for that because I actually I'm 
I don't know if I've discussed discussed this on the show before, but I, like, there's a wild difference to me between digital uh, prose books and digital comics. Um, for a prose book, I do not give a fuck. I've got a reading device that I like. The words are all that matter to me. Like I, the the physical delivery of those words, as long as they and and I'll say, I've said this before, as long as they don't hurt my eyes, which LCD screens do. Mm-hmm. That's why I have a, a Kindle Paperwhite. I, the screen on the Paperwhite, it doesn't hurt my eyes. It's backlit. It's nice or frontlit, whatever. It's nice. It. Um, and now that I have that device, prose, I do not give a fuck about owning physical books because the words are all that matter to me. On the, I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum with comics because Makes sense. it's there's there's art to it that is actually to me physically affected by the print quality of the the print book and I don't like looking at that artwork digitally. Um it seems what? like our reader question might actually be relevant at this point. I don't know if we want to talk about that at the end, but ah, what the hell, why not? We got a we got uh, an email from what did he call himself? I, I he he introduced himself by his screen name, so I'm not going to say his real name on the air. Uh, let me pull it up here. Do, 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 do. Scanner fifty one here. Um, he first he says first off, great podcast. He's new to the site and he's been listening to After the Fact and uh, Trade Secrets with his ten month old, which I'm glad his ten month old can't understand what we say. Hail <laughs> Satan! Um, I mean, yeah. Um, he says, when we were told we were having a girl, all I could picture was a pr- was princesses and fairies. But here, but hey, there are strong female heroes out there, too, for her to look up to. So over the past 10 months, uh, I have been buying f- uh, female-centric comic book covers for her room. Batgirl, Supergirl, Wonder Woman, and so on. I'm very picky about what I buy. The cover has to be cool-looking, of course female, and have a strong, powerful look, and at least three-quarters of the hero must be visible. I think the coolest one she has is a J- uh, JSA cover of Liberty Bell by uh, Alex Ross. Been doing the same for myself with the hopes to get either uh, the artist or writer to sign later. Um, it's like a cool wallpaper for for now, but for both her room and for the empty third bedroom. My question is: Do any of you guys collect comics based on cover art, cover artwork alone? Uh, basically, it's like collecting art and putting it up on display. Like I said, cool looking wallpaper. Uh, not cover art alone. No, I don't. Anyway, I'll buy an um, issue. Um, based on the cover, like I, I keep buying the sex criminals issues <laughs> just because the covers are so nicely designed and their reprints are just, they get more fantastic with every reprint. Totally. Uh, and I mean, I don't know if I'm going to wallpaper my office in sex criminals. I'm not sure, <laughs> but I, I like having them. They're, they're pretty. <laughs> I, the fact that you didn't say comic anywhere in there, you're just like... I, I like sex I, criminals. I like sex criminals. I like having sex criminals. I don't know if I'd <laughs> wallpaper my office in them or not. But, uh, if I could break the spines and just, you know, put sex criminals all over my walls, that would be I great. I would never break the spines of, of any book. Um, I, I absolutely do. I've uh, th- Specifically, a few things. Um, when Fear Itself was yeah. running, I, I bought, uh, there's a 175 variant of uh, <coughs> issue number two, I think, that has Captain America uh, in a depressed state over his broken shield. That I think is probably the best piece of art that I've ever seen for a comic book cover. Um, I hunt down weird second printings. Uh, Deadpool number one, the second printing cover is hilarious because it's actually a piece of uh, the inside art where Deadpool is dressed up as um, the mascot, the Who's It, the green guy with the weird nose and whatnot. Okay. And his bullet holes all in the costume and he's holding two (laughs) semi-automatic machine pistols of some sort. 
Uh, but no, I have a bunch of art that I've bought specifically because of, or a bunch of comics that I've bought specifically because of the comic book art. I keep getting the Red Sonia covers that have like the sort of titties. Not they're less they're less titty. It's, no, it's, it's it's the Red Sonia covers. I think you're thinking of Jenny Friesen. We were I'm talking probably about thinking this of Jenny Friesen. Yeah, um, they're more they're a little cut, bit more cute. painterly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I the revival also. Uh, yeah, yeah, the the cover artwork on that is fantastic. We uh, we were talking about Jenny Friesen before the show, and I want I'll just bring this up real quick that Jenny Friesen's art is fantastic, and um, she was at Emerald City Comic Con. That revival, <clears throat> yeah, okay. revival, and uh, but she does covers for a bunch of stuff right now, and um, her the way she does her artwork. Um, if if you guys are not familiar, and I don't know if she has like a process thing put up on the web anywhere because I didn't know mm-hmm. how she did this, but she pencils all her artwork first on white and then photocopies it to a 50% gray tone paper and then uh, renders it with darker pencil and white pencil um, so that you know you have this like kind of gradation on the gray. <clears throat> and then takes that rendering and digitally uh, applies color to it and it's um, her artwork is fantastic and seeing how she does it is actually really really fascinating um, I don't buy comics for cover artwork uh, I I buy them I mean I, because I like the the I like the media uh, medium of comic books um, I buy them to read I have occasionally bought a variant cover because I think um, like the initial cover is is fugly. Um, <laughs> it's happened a couple of times where I've just been like, Jesus, God. And then I see the variant, and I rarely will buy... Excuse me. That's I rarely, an amazing voice. I rarely oh, yeah, will buy... That's, that's, uh, frog voice. Um, <laughs> I rarely will buy a variant if it costs me ex- excessively more oh, no. money. Good, um, good Lord. The no. only time I've done that recently was I bought uh, I bought the first issue of The Field from Ed Brisson, uh, the Emerald City Comics uh, exclusive variant, which, what? I bought, I did pay 10 bucks for the Emerald City exclusive Lumberjanes, but that's because yeah. I really wanted to read Lumberjanes. Yeah, and I, it was the same for me with The Field. I really wanted to read The Field, and um, what I've been thinking of doing in similar lines to what he's talking about with uh, but a slightly different application is actually taking all of my signed issues that I've got and framing them and putting them <clears throat> on my wall. And what, uh, on a complete tangent side note, one of the things that baffles me is that there is not an industry for comic book frames. Yeah. Like you would, you cannot actually buy them outside of getting something graded and put it in. <clears throat> right. And yeah. that's what, that's what baffles me. It seems like you, you should, there should be an entire industry just on very simple pre-made frames that are the exact size of a comic book with some sort of UV protectant glass in the front specifically for this purpose, for taking an issue, slapping Something it in a there. frame, tossing it on a wall. Well, and it's not, it doesn't exist, but you could make a business I'm, venture. Yeah, I'm, I'm contemplating it to be entirely honest. It Everybody seems like loves. What is it? Six and three eighths by 10 and a quarter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that amazingly logical, uh, <laughs> perfect modern size oh god I, we made our poetry anthology that size for purposes because it's poetry about comic books and <laughs> in in my process of researching printers occasionally mm-hmm. uh, there was hilarious reactions to like well i need a six and three eighths by ten and a quarter what <laughs> what does that mean <laughs> but then there's alpha graphics who's like oh standard american comic size and yeah like, thank you thank you yeah I was looking into that a long time ago because there was a period where I was talking to a friend about uh, publishing, making a comic book, and 
learned a lot of interesting stuff about the way they print comic books, uh-huh. but um, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I I'm not. I don't judge comic books by their covers. <laughs> you actually buy art. I you buy the yeah. You buy art. like pages. True. I I have <laughs> original art in my house from comic books, which is multiple, what I like to do. <laughs> um. But uh, it sounds like a fantastic idea, like, to, uh, to be entirely honest, to take, to find covers of, of like, strong female comic book yeah, characters and great. then using them to wallpaper a little girl's room is awesome. Yeah. yeah. That is, I, I would do that for my kids, right? Like, if I, if I have kids get, get comic book characters that I think are, um, that I think are cool are cool and you know positive for them to right. have and just like plaster them all over their walls so uh, one <laughs> thing that I would recommend looking up um, is Frank Show did a Mrs. Marvel run about three or four years ago and the cover artwork huh. is absolutely astounding and Frank Show I, does actually draw women so that's uh, cool. yes he does um, they're a little bit Hawkeye, pro- Hawkeye project <laughs> but there are some really really solid ones also yeah, um, I mean, he brought up Alex Ross. That's the one I was going to bring up. I would also bring up, like I said, look for Jenny Friesen's stuff. She does some really. She's done some covers yeah. for for Red Sonia that are absolutely fantastic, and her artwork is great. I really like um, the the Rat Queens, like as mm-hmm. as characters. Um, I think they're super realistic in a cartoony way, if that makes sense. They're, yeah, I mean, they're like they're they're D and D characters, but they're real people, and, yeah, and their character designs are really solid. One thing that's really nice about them, I guess, is that they are strong characters. Yeah, like, by definition, they are literally. <laughs> yeah, well, they are strong in terms of they kick ass, and in terms of they are well written. Yeah, yeah, very unique. Um, both in in look and personality, which mm-hmm. it, which I, I'm I'm. My one concern of like recommending things like for artwork for a kid is that you know if the kid sees seventy you know like I don't the skimpy like the crappy shitty skimpy just mm-hmm. you know oh boobs that, this is a superhero with boobs that's I, I you know it sounds I like would, his intent was to to do do more than that go beyond the pulpy male gaze I'm not yeah. I'm not yeah. judging his intent at all I'm just you know I'm incapable of having the mindset of a father so I don't want to be like oh yeah these are some great covers and you know <laughs> here cross <laughs> I would say look at the Miss Marvel cover <laughs> oh man I mean uh, I'm just <laughs> oh uh, yeah Miss Marvel is um, pretty deadly um, yeah, pretty deadly. Pretty deadly is gorgeous. Uh, Captain yeah. Marvel, clearly. Yeah. Like, Kelly C. DeConnick's Captain Marvel stuff would be fantastic. So it has Joe some Quinones covers. has some great covers on Terry, that series. Terry Dodson. Um, I love a lot of Terry Dodson's stuff. One of the one of those original pieces of art we own. What? Oh, fuck. Uh, why can't I think of who did Strangers in Paradise? Um, yeah, that guy. The guy <laughs> Terry that did, Moore. Terry Moore. Moore. Terry Moore also does Super Truck and Boring Girl. Super Truck and Boring Girl, but uh, albeit um, he does. I need to read Rachel Rising. Made. Apparently, Rachel Rising is fantastic. Yeah, that was good. So, so yeah. Um, no, I don't buy it for original art, but I, I think it's a fantastic idea. And um, I don't know. I, I don't know. 
you you seem a little torn on the Amazon thing. I am not torn at all. I think it's fantastic for Comixology. I think it's fantastic I'm for the not industry. Actually, I think that torn. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I'm the most like. So I think that Amazon is trying to sort of um, put itself in a position where it is a distributor as opposed to having an identity of its yeah. own outside of that. I think this is the step in the right direction, but I don't really care. That's that something. Much. That's something I actually also wanted to bring up with this. Hopefully, real quick. But one of the things that baffles me about this whole like uh, Amazon and big box stores destroying indie comics stuff that is that you never see distributors brought up in that equation right and distributors there's the two. reason why distribution is hard well i know i know in the comics industry there's two well f- frankly there's it, one because diamond, because diamond. diamond only diamond has an exclusive with both marvel and dc yeah. so it's not like they can get you know that's 75 percent of the industry what baffles me is that the whole not the whole i shouldn't say the whole because i'm i'm smarter than that a large reason why big box and online retailers are able to offer the deep discounts they are on the products that they sell is because they get deep discounts for their humongous bulk orders from distributors yeah, that, makes sense. that independent stores can't match because they're only ordering you know 15 copies of a book as opposed to several thousand and nobody ever stops and says wait a minute the distribution business model is part of what is allowing big box stores to destroy indie comics, but nobody ever talks about distributors. And that happens in every industry, right? That happened. That's the same reason. Like you could, you could make the exact same argument for people who bitch about Walmart killing local hardware stores in, in the town where they come in is because Walmart is a big box store that buys in humongous bulk from their distributors and thus is able to discount their shit way deep. I mean, that and they don't, you know, bother to pay their workers a living wage, but whatever. Uh, (laughs) But I just never understood why nobody ever looks at Diamond and says, hey, Diamond, if you want to make our indie industry healthier, why not offer indie stores? Yeah, release the death grip and and offer indie stores uh, the same kind of discounts that you offer, um, like, the, the larger retail chains and Amazon when it comes to, like, trades and stuff. Because that's, frankly, and I hate to say this, but one of the reasons I don't buy trades from my comic shop is because they're usually even with my disc i have a 20 percent discount at my comic shop and even with that discount i can still get an extra you know on a 30 dollar trade i'm still usually getting a four to five dollar better price off of amazon than i can get even with a 20 percent discount at my shop so uh i think part of the problem is that people don't understand the model and you know they, they see the yeah. the surface of it yeah. and they think that's the problem but when you know it's actually behind the scenes is what you know there's yeah. the issue and just because they don't know is why they well hopefully now they know uh, All five of our listeners will know yes. now. <laughs> Distribution is complicated. And yeah. if there's something that will make it easier for me to distribute the comics that I make with artists, yay. <laughs> So for the last two weeks since Emerald City Comic Quest, wow, I really want to put W's in things right now. Since in the last two weeks since Emerald City Comic Con, Emerald City Comic Quest. It sounds like you said Comic Quest. Comic Quest. Emerald Quest. Squiddy Comic Quest. I have no idea what I was saying. Uh, Since Emerald City Comic Con, we have been reading Rat Queens. I've actually been reading it since it came out. I think Anne, you picked up the trade. Shortly thereafter. the trade just came out actually last week. Last week or was it a week before? It was out at Comic-Con. It was out at Comic-Con. Okay, yeah. so uh, a couple weeks ago the the trade came out. It is a it's the first 5 issues of the series which um, 
I'm not the only person to describe it this way, but uh, it can best be described as uh, a D&D, D&D adventure mixed with roller derby. Everyone yep. describes it that yeah. way. Um, so the the premise is a there are there's a town called Palisade that is partially protected by a town guard but um the more the more dangerous missions around and outside the city are are allocated to uh four person parties of mercenaries that uh, all have their own names there's the rat queens the four daves like what are some of the Peaches, other ones Pe- the, yeah. the, the like dark pathetic people that get slaughtered yeah go, go, uh, f- the, you're like, in the first issue go to go to find some of the goths. names so you're killing me this issue um what are they brothers ponies Obsidian Darkness. Those are Obsidian the ones. Obsidian Darkness. There we go. Uh, it is. Um, it's written by uh, Curtis J. Weeb of uh, what are the other things with the, the Intrepids and Peter Panzerfaust and Green, Green Wake, Wake um, fame, and it's drawn by Rock Upchurch, who is an artist that I had not seen a lot before this, but I did. I had seen him before on a book called Vessel. And I'm gonna be I'm gonna be blatantly honest that Vessel I thought was a terrible book. Not the art was fine, like because Rock Up Church's art is good. Um, Vessel's writing was fantastically what, bad. What was the premise? Uh, it was like this. It was a future thing. Like what? what I'm looking at issue at? one, and I'm trying to figure out whose hands these are. Let me see. Sorry, uh, sorry for the listeners at home. If you look in the lower right hand <laughs> corner, there's just a set of hands. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm thinking. Somebody that what's her face uh, as stomped on, stomped on. Um, the uh, the art was fine. Vessel was it was it's it's I don't remember. It's okay. it's hard to describe. It was bad. I remember an assassin lady killing a guy with a dildo because he he like tried to he tried to kill her while she was masturbating in the shower and he killed her. She killed him with a dildo. Okay. It was like it was just not it was not good. Um, the art in it was fine. Uh, yeah. I think Rock Up Church's art has actually um, gotten phenomenally better than it was in Vessel. Like that's Vessel cool. was Vessel was decent. I really like his art in Rat Queens, um, and that's where I want to start actually, because one of the things that has really, really caught me about this book is how awesomely unique the characters are. Um, it's really solid character design. Yeah. Makes me happy. Really, it's it's the thing that you always talk about, right? If you saw them in silhouette, you'd still know all yep. of yes. who all the characters were. Violet, Betty, Hannah, and Dee mm-hmm. all look completely different. Like, if you just saw the silhouette, you'd be able to, like, well, if you know the characters, you'd be able to immediately identify which one is which. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And it takes D and D tropes in terms of like there, there's two humans and a dwarf and a halfling, the, the hottest dwarf I've ever seen. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Although I love the fact that like she part of the way beard. through, she's like, God, maybe I should let my beard grow back. And all these kids <laughs> shaving their beards. It used to mean something in my yeah. day. Oh, it's amazing. Uh, should we talk about the the characters for a second? Yeah, that, that's. I mean, um, so Betty is the halfling. Uh, what are they called? Fidgets? Squidgets? Fidgets. Squidgy? Sounds right. <laughs> Something like that. I don't know. They have, they have <laughs> a specific matter. name. Um, she's tiny and violent and like horribly, horribly hooked on various substances. And, and, like, and lesbian. And lesbian and like cute. She's adorable. just like uh, with with all of that violence and everything, she's like adorable through the whole thing. 
I'm trying to think of what, uh, what I, I love that. To. Let me get this thing out of my pants. She's like <laughs> scrunching around in her pants for the key that she stole from the guy. It was <laughs> fucking fantastic. Um, and she's the thief of the group. Yes. Uh, we have Violet, who is the, the dwarven warrior. warrior. The dwarven warrior. Yep. Um, she crushed his face. Yeah. She. she <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, it's like one of the things with specifically the uh, the thief and the fighter, I guess, would be the best way to explain it. Um, they they don't look like they're able to commit violence, yet they do it all the time. Yeah. Like if you were to see, you know, uh, just a, a piece of line art of these characters, mm-hmm. you'd be like, okay, so that's obviously the... The, you know, the I mean, person Violet looks saving. cranky, but well, she looks like, cranky, but she doesn't look like she could, you know, chop something in half. I don't know. She always, to me, it's the exact opposite. Violet always looks like she's about to chop yeah. something in half. She's always got a giant fucking broadsword and like armor on her shoulders, and like she's, but she, she's armor very, and a chip on her shoulders. She's very stout. Like she's yeah. pretty stout. I well, she's a dwarf, so I mean, it's well, yes. She was actually slightly. I was surprised to learn that she was a dwarf because I thought she was slightly slight for a dwarf. But then again, I may have very specific well, she kind images of, is. of dwarven. Um, Hannah is the cleric. Yeah, or no, mage, Hannah, mage. Hannah's caster. The mage. Hannah's the mage. Yeah, yeah. And Prim- then D is the cleric. D is the cleric. Okay. Secondary yes. caster. Or I guess. Healer. Healer. Yeah, I was going to say I'm I like mean, healer. Secondary I, caster, H- also Hannah squid. is the offensive magic person. D yeah. is the, you know, save D's, the party. D is the healer. I worship Cthulhu. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I love that, that dynamic about her. Her belt is amazing. Hannah's yes. the nuke them till they glow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, one of the things, and I, and I love, one, I love the fact that this is an all-female group, and it is so much better for it. Yes. Um, I think that I do not think this book would be as interesting with male lead characters nope. um, because it, not even close. It would feel really cliche. Yeah, yeah. Um, because then you you start delving into Skull Kickers realm and um, and Skull Kickers is fine and it's funny, but uh, the more I the deeper I've gotten into Rat Queens, the more I, I like it fantastically more than Skull Kickers, which yep. is. I don't want to put down Skull Kickers because it's a good book, especially for people who like D anD D, and it's funny and it's 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 awesome. But I think I just think Rat Queens is better. Rat Queens is one of three books that I think uh, that are very very. I, I'm almost positive that um, Curtis probably played D anD D at some point. In oh his life. yeah, yeah. Uh, but so Skull Kickers, Rat Queens, and Battle Chasers all are uh-huh. a very specific niche where you had like. Obviously, there was like heavy D and D influences mm-hmm. that you know sort of just run through them, and it's f- wonderful that you know these books exist. I'm just happy that Rat Queens seems to be going in a very solid, steady, consistent direction, unlike Battle Chasers, which was like seven brilliant issues and we're done. Yeah. Well, and the the, the um, when I was talking to Curtis at, at Emerald City Comic Con, he was you know we got into a conversation about D and D, and he played D and D. For a while, and one of the things that he specifically said was that over the course of this book, what he hopes people will see is the characters leveling up. Good. Like they start, they start low level. Um, which, having you know, when I was working at Wizards, um, there was a, there was a discussion about D and D and and how um, first level characters in the D and D and most role playing worlds are supposed to be. If you are a first level in an actual class, you are still head and shoulders in abilities above a normal person. Yep. Like because a class means automatically that you have specialized and you have become more than trained and you have yeah you have become better than a peasant. Yeah. Um. So that's where these 
characters start out as kind of low level care a low level adventuring party and then their first uh, yeah they've got skills but then their first adventure is is fighting a group of goblins or fighting a group of goblins then a giant cave troll right and uh and they kind of move on from there and i think it's just like it would have humored me if the trade would have been like rat queens levels one through three yeah (laughs) An adventure suitable for characters of level one through four. <laughs> uh, that being said, there's a good enough like meta plot going on yeah. that's like it's not heavy handed. Mm-hmm. Um, it allows them to like be adventuring weirdos, but at the same time they're going in a direction, and it doesn't feel like sort of an aimless D and D campaign that's about yeah. you know next issue there will the monsters will look like this, the explosions will look like this. You know? <laughs> yeah, I'm. Um you're being quiet. This very, I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed because I've, you know, I've been playing D and D since I was a kid. I don't remember how old I was when I started playing, but it was somewhere in the like eight to ten range was the first time I played a game of D and D, and I've been playing it all my life. And I worked at Wizards for a while, which was a dream job for me at the time. Um, and when I started reading this, I the first thing that I thought about it was, this sounds like a gaming group's banter. Like and a, a dial- good a, a good, good gaming, gaming group. group. The banter. dialogue is amazing. You're yeah. not going to see Betty go with. Are there any girls there? Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> um, Callback. Yeah. Hey-o. The well, and that's the thing about the dialogue. And this is the same thing that, um, like, if you listen to Kevin Smith talk about the way he writes his movies, right? Um, he, you know, people were people would say to him, "Well, this sounds like this sounds like the way that you would talk with your friends." And he's like, "No, no, no. This is like the." meta amazing edited version of how how our friends talk um this is not how human beings actually talk to each other and that's that's what i like about this book is it seems the same way right it seems like the jokes and the dialogue and the banter are things that not necessarily a medieval fantasy world would have in it but that a gaming group would have in it edited down and distilled into like this awesome kind of um meta dialogue that that just makes the book flow so well helped of course by ra- uh, rock up church's art um i think one of the things that i also like about this is how the they are just for the first time seemingly without without hesitation without the typical hesitation you would get in a lot of books and without um any like i don't know what i'm trying to say um there is just this humongously wide array of um, body types, sexual orientations, yeah. uh, interests that they're they're just he just doesn't appro- he approaches it without any hesitation at all. There's no right. there's no like in a I don't this sounds really strange, but it, and I it's it's because I don't know how to describe it properly. But in a lot of instances, writers will put. Uh, non-heteronormative relationships into a book and they are because of the hang-ups of the author are made to seem out of place in the book instead of just right just like betty's a lesbian and that's what she is and that doesn't matter and it's not meant to be like this titillating thing or this you know this strange it's like just out of place thing. it's just part of, of the world yeah it's just part of the world think and, think about like welcome to night vale the internet podcast sensation i've never heard it okay well you should <laughs> but the, the thing so 
here's a the one panel I went to at ETCC was a Welcome to Night Vale panel, and and I the best description of Welcome to Night Vale that I know is like a Prairie Home Companion, but uh, voiced by Stephen Colbert and written by H.P. Lovecraft. <laughs> okay, um, it's a really fun show. But the, the the point is that the the it's it's in the style of like a old old timey radio broadcast about a sleepy little desert town where strange things happen all the time. Um, and it, it's it's a very clever show, and I think completely worth your time. Uh, but uh, the 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 internet and the Tumblrverse have exploded because there's a very sort of logical, um, natural uh, relationship that forms between like the the radio host and the like, you know, supernaturally attractive scientist that's like the new guy in town. So mm-hmm. it's two men in a relationship, and it's very like. Like this, natural outgrowth of the world. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's not forced or tokenism or anything. And yeah. um, the what the creators have to say about it is like that's just like that's how the writing went. That's just what happened. We're reflecting the world as it is. Like, yeah. what are you gonna do? But and uh, I guess that's the thing about all the characters in Rat Queens is none of the characterization feels forced. Right. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate all of the variety of folks like the the orc i really like the orc lady out yeah. of peaches i think is the is the uh-huh. gang uh <laughs> who's just like you put an arrow through my favorite boob fuck what <laughs> i really liked i really liked in the i think it was the fourth or fi- it was the fifth issue when uh when vi um like just decides that uh She's gonna sleep with the Dave, the bearded Dave that was oh, her yeah. healer, yeah, and, yeah. and she there. She you, she you decides that it's rid of the, bir- the birds. You want me to get rid of the birds? And she's like, did I say anything about the birds? <laughs> I like, like, that. like uh, I um, I I the the dialogue in this book is so good and it's so natural. Um, and one of the and I bring this back to our you know we were talking to Johnny Christmas about sheltered last last show. Um, one of the things that really solidifies this book is is Rock Up Church's facial expressions. Yeah, uh, they are so solid, and they they contribute so much to the comedy and the feel mm-hmm. of the the dialogue. Especially, in my opinion, especially with Betty. Yeah, I was just like, thinking about Betty. Th- like when, when she's, she's threatening bartend- the big guy. Oh yeah, when she's threatening the big guy, when she's bartending in the fifth issue, and she's she she does that. Know what I'm saying? Kind of <laughs> that look on her face. You know, y'all know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I just um so I I don't I don't know. I mean to de- to describe the book a little bit more cuz I th- I don't think we went into like I mean we kind of described what it was but um the reason that that everyone compares it to roller derby is because of the four man mercenary teams that all have a name and the, and and yep. of course the, the punk rock aesthetic. Yeah, that that kind of like um retro retro punk aesthetic especially with Hannah like she yeah. definitely looks like you know, kind of retro punk pinup girl kind of aesthetic going on, and um, they're all a little pinupy, but without being like gross. Yeah, without being like somebody. Somebody on my Twitter uh, had asked the question about, um, and I wish I'd answered, but asked specifically a question about what artists people thought, what comic book artists people thought drew uh, female characters that could that 
were sexy without being objectified and I wish I had responded with Rock Up Church Absolutely. because I think that they, he does a fantastic job in this of making the characters sexy without making it feel like I grody mean, objectification. Not the writing has something to do with that in yes. terms of like who they are and what their purpose is but mm-hmm. the art definitely is I mean they they're, they're sexy they have sexualities and partners and it's it's natural it's mm-hmm. not like you know like hooking up with bird beard guy totally <laughs> totally cool he's a dave he's Come a on. dave one of the daves <laughs> he's a dave oh uh, just the also i just i'm the elf that uh betty is like her her not her spurned lover or the lover that is yeah, spurning yeah, yeah. her totally hot which i appreciate i'm like <laughs> if you can put a little bit of the female gaze into this book good job yeah yeah i'm um did you say the female gaze, G-A-Y-S, or G-A-Z-E? <laughs> Both at the same time. <laughs> oh, wow. The jokes that don't work unless you write them out. I'm, um, one, of my, one of my favorite things about this book are all, is almost entirely the moments between the plot. Like little things like the party, like the shut the fuck up, Gary. <laughs> Poor <laughs> like, Gary. Uh, when, Apparently you know, we all have plus five to attack people named Gary at this point. <laughs> <laughs> the, when, when, the, when um, Sawyer walks into the room with the mayor, ah, oh, fuck but, buckets. <laughs> <laughs> Unicorn poo is one of my favorite new words <laughs> yep. for a fantasy world. And that's the thing. I mean, I feel like a lot of the dialogue is... D&D-esque in terms of it's 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 somewhat modern, it's totally tongue-in-cheek, but it has a solid fantasy flavor at the same yeah, time. Yeah. T- towards the end, one of my favorite lines is, no one gets to call my friends cunts but me. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I like that. I, one of the reasons that I really like that, and it's something that I've been trying to do with, with the book that I'm writing, is um, there, there's two things that I really enjoy, and this partially stems from the um, the panel that I went to at Emerald City was a um, the Nerdist Writers panel, and it had a bunch of big writers on it, but Greg Rucka was there. And one of the things, uh, this is a two-part, and this is the first thing. The One of the things he talks about that um, I'm glad they don't do in this book is what they call the, what he called the dumb stick. Um, like, who's holding the dumb stick in this scene to oh, explain no. it to everybody? Oh, because, yeah. And even Kelly Sue DeConnick was like, that's one of the things that aggravates her about superhero comics is that they have to fucking explain every little tiny thing, right? And you got to have the uh, like the exposition character, right? Yeah, that's you, the dumb stick. You, you all of a sudden they were they were saying that you all of a sudden have the you know the character who's usually smart has to ask the stupid questions so that the viewer can know what's going on. Like Riker, all of a sudden doesn't understand how the fucking how warp <laughs> speed works. What do you mean, gelatinous <laughs> kids? Are, again. They're uh, super harmed by fire. Yeah, that's the only way we can defeat them, Luke. That it, is the only way we can defeat exactly. them. Exactly. Um, I like that this book doesn't do that. They just he just goes. You know, and shit happens, and what? This page is a good example of, like, the writer and the artist working brilliantly together. Mm-hmm. Because what it is, is, uh, I mean, the text is a monologue from this traitor. That would be T-R-A-D-E-R. yeah. <laughs> uh, that Betty is talking to, uh, Betty and D are talking to. But the, the art is a bunch of close-ups of details and little vignette circles of Betty's like hilarious facial expressions as she's noticing all these details, which three pages down the line comes out and you know she does the Sherlockian like well here's the deal that's happening with this guy um 
And that's, I mean, that's a lovely example of show don't tell in comics. One of my favorite things about that panel is that Betty is so short she's actually that's not fully exactly in it. Exactly what I was gonna say. <laughs> it's like, like half I of her face within that, the circles. So All true. of the circles are still her, like from the nose up, <laughs> and it's so fantastic. And that also says a lot about Rock Upchurch's ability to draw really accurate and specific facial expressions uh-huh. from the nose up. Yeah, yeah, just with the eyebrows, yep. right? And, uh, um, but the and I like that he doesn't you know, constantly explain everything. Yeah. It doesn't need to, no. right? It, and the second part that I liked about this was um, I like anachronistic language in fantasy because I I despise and am sick of the idea that if you have a fantasy world with magic and dragons that it has to be somehow set in 15th century Great Britain. Nope. Like it we do oh. not need archaic language to convey a fantasy world. It's nice to have like the modern just the modern language because it's a different fucking world. It's not earth. It doesn't go by our history. It doesn't go by our language. It doesn't go by um the things and it shouldn't it shouldn't any longer be forced into that because readers somehow feel like they're getting pulled out of the story by modern language. The more that we get away from putting archaic language into fantasy, the more it will be accepted by the people who, who like that kind of work. Um, it's the same reason why I like Nimona is because it's it's I mean it also has like blatantly fantastically scientific elements, but mm-hmm. it's it's just plain talk. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the reasons <laughs> why Is I like the crimson eye of <laughs> Cerebus. <laughs> Sorry. God damn it. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I, um, when I was growing up, the fantasy, I mean, I read The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings fairly early in life because my dad was a humongous fan and he put he put them out for me to read. Um, but the books that, that really hooked me on fantasy and that got me into things like D&D were uh, David Eddings, The Belgariad and The Melorian. And one of the things about those books that makes them so approachable is the fact that Eddings did not go archaic with them. Mm-hmm. The language is very modern. Uh, the the prose itself is very modern, and it's not it's not like this Tolkienistic flowery prose to try and describe this fantasy world. It's just very down to earth, uh, you know, modern language, and that, f- especially for me as like a ten year old kid, that was that was huge in making uh that type of world accessible to me. Yeah. That um, makes sense. And I think that that's something that I really like about this book is that it's it's even if you're even if you're not really into fantasy and not into gaming, I think the language and the dialogue is funny and good enough in this that it makes it accessible to Absolutely. I mean, I am into fantasy and I have played pen and paper RPGs but never D&D. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I felt completely connected to everything that was going on in this book. But one real quick tangent on the art again about um, something I like about a lot of the characters is they have unique tattoos. I hadn't uh, really paid attention these, to this aside from bro- uh, D's uh, facial D's tattoos. D has facial tattoos. Um, Stuff going on. Uh, V's brother has like a, this really super colorful sleeve that you only see in four oh, panels yeah. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Betty has a giant back piece. Um, hmm. I think that's right. Is it Betty? But yeah, like the, the just the the idea that you know there are people who have tattoos, and not everyone. It's not like everyone has you know yeah, yeah. tattoos all over the place. It's um, there's enough of it that it you know it makes characters unique yeah. because it just it's so different. Like and the style is where does it sound? Um, so for example, sorry, it's Hannah who has the giant back piece, okay. and it's a giant black like 
arachnid-looking thing that goes over her shoulders. You can actually see it on some of the covers because it goes into a chest piece. Um, it, it's just cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's something I have not seen before in books that are fantasy books. It's got to be a... Um in I mean, in some ways, it's got to be rough for the artists, though, right? Because to try and remember what their tattoos look like and make sure that they get applied every time you draw yeah. the character. Yeah, that would be <laughs> a nightmare. It's cool that they're willing to do it, though, right? Like, yeah, these it, characters... It adds, like, a subtle complexity to the characters that, mm-hmm. you know... But that's just my two cents. Yeah. It's... Um, I think that it's it, it's wild, wild, <laughs> widely accessible to anyone who you know would be into the the dialogue and the storyline. But I think I definitely think that for someone like me who kind of grew up on D anD D and you know played D anD D for a long time and had you know a regular gaming group through most of my twenties, yeah. um, I read this book and I'm just like, wow, this is uh, this is this is what I would want my D anD D group to be. You know, this is this is That's the kind awesome. of I actually after reading like three or four issues of this comic book, the first thing that I thought is that is a fantastic setup for a D and D adventure. Mm-hmm. Would be you four people who are playing in this D and D adventure are a merc- one of several mercenary groups protecting a town, and you will get assignments from the the captain of the guard of that town to go do stuff and i think that that's something that actually made me want to run D again <laughs> i actually i haven't run a D game in six or seven years and five years and um the reading this book made me immediately want to use the the setup of rat queens to run a D campaign that's awesome um and it's just like it's it's so for for me specifically for with that background it just makes it adds a whole another layer to this book that just makes it even more fantastic yeah. than it already is um i uh, i i mean i guess we can go into by bar burn but i th- i have a feeling it's a foregone conclusion um is are they in venice <laughs> sorry there's there's a part of palisade that literally looks like it's right drawn yeah, like looks pulled like straight out of venice so luke's answer for by bar burn is are they in venice okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh for by bar burn I, I mean i'm i'm an instant buy i think i think this book is and I, it's one of the it's one of the types of books like the sixth gun that i would recommend to just about anybody who reads comics um regardless of whether they're into fantasy or you know D or anything it's just a it's a universal recommend in my opinion yeah I would definitely say bye. Um, I, I, if Whoa. someone was like, I hate fantasy forever, I would say borrow and try it anyway. But <laughs> Yeah, okay, I, that's fair. I can't fucking stand fantasy. Well, oh, this might make this you like might it. change your mind. There you go. Um, hard, hard bye. Um, I actually am so confident that like I could say you can that probably, you're you can, hard for buying. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fucking V, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> But like I, I feel that you know you could actually buy this for another person who likes fantasy but doesn't necessarily like comics, and mm-hmm. they would enjoy it. Yeah, I, I cannot wait till there's like ten or twelve issues out because I really, really hope they do deluxe hardcovers of this book because I am a hardcover whore, um, and I'm really looking forward to. I want a hardcover that has like back matter and extra stuff and design work and stuff in it because like this is just it's it's probably i mean it's amongst my top easily top 10 favorite books right now maybe top five nice um and that's you know that's including stuff like lazarus which is like easily top five um sex sex criminals it's right up there it's got the same like 
like Sex Criminals and Rat Queens are probably the two funniest books that I read right now. Nice. Um, so, I mean, that's that's a solid three-person buy. I'm 90% positive Joel would Joel be loves a buy. It. Joel loves it. I have no idea what Eddie's opinion of but of it is, but I bet if we handed him the book, he'd just be like, yeah, this is awesome. Buy. So... I'm gonna, you know, I'm just gonna talk for them and say it's a five person buy. <laughs> five How about person that? buy. Five person buy. Let's put it to a vote. Five person buy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sure. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> All right. So we we figured out what we're doing for the next several shows. Uh, we already announced that we were doing uh, the bone long read for our for our episode seventy. Uh, we're doing the entirety of Bone. So we have got, this is episode 65. We've got the next five shows up and up through episode 70 for the Bone Long Read pa- uh, figured out. We're going to do, for the next episode, uh, we are going to do Sex Criminals Volume 1. Um, we're doing uh, Pretty Deadly, uh, which Ooh. actually, yeah, Pretty Deadly comes out. Oh, no, the trades come out slightly before our shows on this one, well, which is perfect. which is perfect. So uh, we will be doing Pretty Deadly. We will be doing Andy's original recommendation of Buzzkill was one that we were going yeah. to do before, but now we get to go back and do it. Our Buzzkill got Buzzkilled. It did. Now. It didn't. So, uh, yeah. We are going to be doing um, The Answer. It's a four-issue Dark Horse series by Mike Norton and Dennis Hopeless. And then, as I said before, episode 70 will be our Bone Long Read. So if you would like to participate in the show like Scanner51 did today, you can get a hold of us via email at tradesecrets at geekerific.com. You can hit us up on Twitter at Trade Secrets uh, Pod. Trade Secrets Pod, there's no uh in there. And you can hit us up on Facebook on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash trade secrets podcast. We would love to have fan interaction for these next shows that we're doing. Sex Criminals, Pretty Deadly, uh, Buzzkill, The Answer, and Bone. So if you have any questions or comments about any of those books uh, that you would like us to address on the shows when we talk about them, then feel free to send us an email anytime or hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. We all also have our individual Twitter accounts. And I'm at Anbean Tweets, and I would like to point out that I retweet such gems as a llama dressed as Batman. Yes, it's worth it. Uh, Andy <laughs> is on Twitter. I'm at Mathtastrophe. I am on Twitter at Geek Elite, uh, and like I said, the show feed is at Trade Secret Spot. We hope to hear some more fan interaction over the next five episodes. Uh, this has been episode 65 of the Trade Secrets Podcast, all about rat queens. We love it. Go buy it. Woo. And we will see you guys on the next show for Sex Criminals. seen troll nipples before and i have now you have they're they're much baggier than i expected it's a troll trolls are all about being baggy the nipples themselves yeah okay